Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So our passage today is um, from Luke 7, verse 18 to 35. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, Among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that we can trust you, Jesus, that you hold the world in your hands, that there is nothing too big or too small that you don't already know about, that you aren't already aware of and working in. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God, and for your word that you give us to help us understand you, to understand the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus and the life that we can live in freedom with you. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive from you this morning, that we would be able to grasp your word tangibly and apply it in our lives. 
Lord, would you speak through Pastor Marv this morning as he helps us understand your word and may his words be your words, Lord, that we would hear from you today, Lord. Would your spirit be moving in this place? We pray all this in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Sabrina. All right. I've already sweated out my hair, as you can tell. So I'm going to hopefully get us through this. It's a little warm. We believe in prayer as a church. So pray that next week they get the AC going for us. They're working on, on that. So like Sabrina said, we are looking at Luke 7, 8 to 35. And the title of the message today is called Doubt Something We all experience doubt, something we all experience. Everybody goes through this. If you run into a believer who tells you they never experience doubt, they're lying. And you can look at them and say, your name is liar. They're lying to you. The Bible never hides the fact that believers struggle with doubt. Moses. Think of Moses, right? Moses, Moses, Moses. One of the greatest leaders of all time in the Bible had one of the hardest jobs. When God told him, you are going to do this, he's just like, I'm not the guy. He's like, you're going. He's like, no, 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 no. Send somebody else. I can't speak all that well. And then God gave him that look. You know when the parent gives the child the look? You know the look? In our house, we call it the Jamaican look. It's just eyes wide and the mouth is open. You're going. Then there's Mary, the mother of Jesus. The angel comes to her and says, here's what Jesus is going to be. Here's what your life's going to look like. Here's what he's going to do for the world. All of that. And she says, I'm in. And she sings this beautiful song. And then when you read the gospel later on, she's in there and she's like, hey, kids, we got to go get your brother because he's lost his mind. She doubts. They go and try to bring him home. Then there's your boy, Thomas. We all know Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He says, I don't care what you tell me. If I don't see his hands, if I don't see them wounds, if I don't see him, I don't, I'm not believing a thing that you have to say. He doubted the resurrection. Doubt is real. Doubt is something we all deal with. Now, here's the thing. There's a, the difference between healthy doubt and destructive doubt is all in how we respond. I'm going to say it again because I want you to catch it. The difference between healthy doubt and destructive doubt is in the way we respond. Every week I try to tell you something that sticks. Here's the thing I'm trying to tell you this week. There's the big takeaway. There is a right way and a wrong way to deal with doubt. Say it with me. There is a, say it. Lift your voices. And there is a, say it. All right. To deal with doubt. Right way and a wrong way. And here's what I want to show you. Here's the aim. I want to show you Again, that there's a healthy way to handle it. Here's the key, though. Those who handle doubt in a healthy way are people who choose the path of humility. There's a theme running through this text as you read it. Sometimes it's hard to catch it, but it's a theme of humble people and prideful people. Humble people, prideful people. 
And I'm hoping that you see that. So look at verse 18. It says, then John's disciples told him about, John's disciples told him about all these things. The things that they tell him about is what, is what Jermaine talked about the week before and, uh, and, and Joyson talked about, that Jesus is healing people, that he is putting in work, that he is doing the job. And so it says, so John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Then the disciples go and they ask that exact question. When they reached him, they said to John the Baptist, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What John is wondering here, what prompts the question is he's wondering, if Jesus is the Messiah, that's what's going on. He hears everything and he's like, is this the guy? But there is doubt there. And the reason why John is doubting is because Jesus is not doing what he's expecting. What drives the doubt is that John is expecting a different kind of Messiah. He's expecting a militant Messiah, somebody who would, who would sort of release them from their oppression. And so he's like, you're not doing any of that. So what's up? The doubt is, is real there. And the other thing is that John here is dealing with unmet expectations. He expected something and it's not happening. See, when this happens in our life, when there's an unmet expectation, you thought this thing was going to happen for you, you thought this was going to come through, it's easy, it's tempting to start doubting God. You start to wonder, maybe you have these questions in your head, is God really good? We sing that all the time. We say God is good and everybody says all the time and all the time God is good. We say all that. But is he, is he good? You start to wonder, does God know what he's doing? Can I actually trust God with my life? Should I, should I do what the song we just sung said? Should I trust him? Should I lift my, my voice and my life? Should I lay it down? Should I surrender? There's, it's tempting to give in to doubt and to question God. It's not easy to handle. But I want to show us some ways you can know if you're handling unmet expectations really well. Here's some ways you can test this against your life. We're talking to God. Expectations are on men. I'm talking to God. I'm, I'm sharing honestly my fears and my frustrations, and I'm asking him to help me through the struggle. God's not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of our frustrations. So we're talking to God. Here's the next one. We're listening to the voice of God. We're going to the word. This helps us to make sure that we don't have unbiblical expectations. Sometimes people just have that. The thing you're expecting is that's not in scripture. But somebody on TV told you it was there. It's not. This shapes and gives us the right perspective for living. Here's healthy questions to ask. What has God actually promised? What has God said? When God, has God said it will be done? Just, just test that against your life. Here's the last one. I think there's a third one. We're trusting God and believing that he is wise and knows best. And I wrote this up here to remember this. This is very easy for me, the preacher, to say, and very hard for us to live. To trust that God's wiser than us. To believe that he knows best. Here's what I, you gotta, this is crucial for us. We gotta, we gotta catch this. Sometimes in our life, we have good desires that go unmet. Paul, he says, I desire to be with Christ. Christ. 
I would, he's like, I'd rather be with Jesus. I'd rather be in glory. But I know that I'm, I'm going to have to stay here for your good. He says that, I believe, to the Philippians. It's a good desire, but it goes unmet. But we should remember that God is always doing things for our best. I've said this multiple times. God knows what is up ahead. He knows what we don't know. And so often he's like, if you knew what I know, if you know what I know, you wouldn't really ask that. You wouldn't be as frustrated. You would really trust. I'm doing it for your best and your good and for his glory. And then this is so good. We have to resist the temptation to take things into our own hands. Resist that temptation. Remember, Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child. And then it's, it's just taken too long. So they're like, all right, let's just, let's take Hagar and let's, let's just do our, let's help God out. And everything falls apart after that. There's nothing but trouble. We have to resist that temptation. So John is doubting, but he handles the doubt the right way. In our moments of doubt, we should humbly share our questions. Humbly share our questions. Elizabeth Elliot said, faith does not eliminate questions. When we come to faith in Christ, everything doesn't get answered. All our questions don't go away. But faith knows where to take them. We take them to God. We share with him those questions. We take them to the people of God, this community that he's brought us in. We share humbly. And this takes humility. We have to humble ourselves, but in stepping into humility, that is the way we get the help that we need. I've always wanted to wipe my head when I was preaching, so this is a chance. I grew up watching the, my, my pastor growing up was always just dabbing himself. So next week, I'm going to have a nice one of them, you know, them rags. You got me, Jermaine, them preaching rags? I'll be up here, brother. Now, here's the flip side of this. People humble themselves, they come to us, they share. Here's the flip side. When somebody humbly shares with you, don't panic. There's the other side of this. Don't be like, oh, they're about to leave the faith. Don't immediately go to panicking. That's not necessarily what is going on. They're just working through something. And then the other one is don't gossip. When somebody shares with you something, protect their privacy, protect their information so they know that you're someone they can continue to trust. There's a balance to that. So John humbles himself and Jesus helps him. Verse 21 says, at that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he granted sight to the blind, to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Verse 23, and blessed, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. His response says, John, I am the Messiah. Your faith is in the right guy. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm preaching the gospel, and I'm helping the hurting. I'm helping people who are struggling. Here's, you gotta, you gotta see this. Jesus cared about people's spiritual and their physical. Both mattered to him. Their spiritual troubles 
and their physical troubles. He ministered to both. And here's the word to the local church. He expects the same from us. That we minister to people's physical needs and their spiritual needs. That there needs to be this ministry of word and deed to the people who have stepped out of doubt and into faith. And to the people who are still struggling with doubt and wondering if they should step into faith. We minister to both. You don't want to be so caught up in getting people to glory that you forget we still have to live here. And that there's real struggles. I've said this before, one of the reasons why it was hard for me to get into the church thing is because it just looked like all they cared about was getting you to heaven. That's important, don't get me wrong. But my mom, a single mother, was still struggling and it was hard. And it just seemed like the church didn't want to step across that line and get into the mess of that. That's not the kind of church we want to be. The physical and the spiritual because that's how our Savior lived and that's what he modeled for us and so we do the same. So he says, John, I am the Messiah. He also says, I'm fulfilling prophecy. Isaiah 61 says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So Isaiah prophesies this. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus applies this to himself. I'm trying to show you that the Bible is one story. In Luke 4, earlier, it says Jesus came where he had been brought up as usual. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Watch this. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus says. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed, to set free the oppressed. He says, I am the Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah predicted. And he says, verse 23, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. That's the crucial, crucial statement. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. He looks at the the guys who have come uh, to talk to him for John, and he says, go back and tell John, I am the Messiah, but also tell John, keep believing. It's a call to faith. Keep trusting. Keep holding on. I heard a barber say once, and you're wondering, how did that guy with no hair hear a barber say once? Well, I got a a team up there of four boys. It's my basketball team. I'm hoping there's a football guy in there somewhere lifting that up in prayer every night. But they have a lot of hair. I'm jealous most times. But we're in the shop. And I heard the barber say, I believe Jesus existed. I just don't believe he did anything or said anything that was in the Bible. And then he looked right at me. Because they're aware of what I do in the barbershop. Now, for a moment, 
I felt doubt, even some fear, wondering, what if he's right? What, what if, he, what if he, he's right? Now, I didn't say anything because he, he made the truth claim, so he has to defend it. But in that moment, the doubt was real. And when you have those kinds of moments, see, we live in a culture that's going to take shots at your faith and my faith all the time. Just watch a movie lately. They just kind of sneak it in. And you feel that moment of doubt. You feel, you wonder. But in that moment, Jesus looks at you and he says, keep believing, Julian. Keep believing, Stacy. Don't give up on the faith. Hold on. Why? Because in the end, you will be blessed. That's what's coming. And so we hold on. You will be blessed. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. I was texting this week with Andy back there, red mask. So you, may, you, you might want to check with him after I show you what he said. But I asked him to give me the greatest of all time in three categories. So remember, Andy's right there. Your beef is with him. Actor, athlete, and an artist. This is the greatest of all time according to your boy, Andy Ayisi. Actor? Denzel Washington. You should all say amen right there, right? Shayon said no to that. We're praying for him. Artist, he said Jay-Z for relevance and longevity, and he wanted to make it clear, though I'm not a fan. And then I didn't see this one coming. He said athlete, Michael Phelps. And then he clarified, he said, he, that brother made me watch swimming. I said, me too. Now, I'm showing you this because you could debate this list. As soon as you see the list, you start thinking about other people that you might put there, right? It can be debated. I might not have put Michael Phelps. But when it comes to the greatest prophet of all time, there is zero debate. Because of what Jesus says next. It says, after John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. So Jesus is aware. The crowd hears about John's doubt, and he now knows they might start doubting John. And so he speaks to that. It says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? He says, a prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, he will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but, so important, the contrast here, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus is like, you didn't go see John because of the scenery out in the wilderness. You didn't go see John because of his style. It wasn't his fashion that drew you out to him. You went to see John because he was a true prophet of God. That's why you went out. The one who Malachi 3, that's what's quoted here. Malachi 3.1 says that he would prepare the way of the Messiah. John got people ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. So he's like, don't get the wrong idea about John. 
He says, you didn't go see a reed swaying in the wind. Here's a picture of a reed, just in case you've never seen one. And what Jesus is trying to show you here is that a reed is something that's easily blown about, blown all over the place. And he's trying to show people that, that John is not like that. John is not a, a man who was easily swayed. He wasn't blown all over the place by every wind of doctrine. That didn't happen to him. And here's why, because of who John was. He was a man of character. He fulfilled the hard prophetic ministry that God gave him to do. God, God's like, this is what you're going to do? And he, and he steps into it. He accepts it. He was a man of conviction. He followed the scriptures and lived the life God set out for him. This is what the word says. This is what I'm going to do. He was a man of courage. He spoke the truth in love, even when people did not want to hear it. And the example is Herod. He spoke the truth to Herod. That's why he's in prison. So this is how he was. And we can be this way too. And here's how. We continue to develop character when we live with integrity and refuse the path of least resistance. We do hard things. We live with integrity. We can continue to strengthen our convictions when we hold on to the truth of the word, even when the culture is going in the opposite direction. This is what God has said. This is what God said is true about sexuality. This is what God said about family. And I'm holding on to that. This is what God has said about who is the savior of the world, that he is the only one who can save us, that no one else can. I'm holding on to that truth and I'm living by it. Our convictions go deeper and we continue to act with courage when we resist the fear of people and speak the truth with compassion, important, and respect, even if our culture disagrees. That's what courage is. I lost it, but it's up here. This helps us to be people who are not easily swayed when we live like this. Now, this is important. Doing this won't make your life easier. I don't want to lie to you. It won't make your life easier, but it will give you peace. It'll give us peace, and it will bring Glory to God, because even if the culture is upset with me, I'm aware that the Lord loves me. It's back. See, I was praying in my head. I wasn't really praying. It's just back. That the Lord is holding me. I'm trusting him that he is good. And even if the culture is against me, that he will stand by my side no matter what. Only good will come. So Jesus highlights that John is great, his greatness. See, John, he's a bridge. He served as a bridge from one era to another. John lived in the era of promise. Believers live in the era of fulfillment. That's why Jesus says in verse 28, let me find it. And I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Here's another reason why we don't give in to doubt, the blessing and the privilege of being a part of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that has come and is coming. 
and will rule the world and we will be enveloped in all of it, experiencing all of its blessing for all time. And so we don't give up on the faith. We know good and better days are ahead. In verse 29, it says, And when the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and the experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. Remember I told you this theme of humble people, prideful people? Here John is, or Luke is showing us this contrast. He's contrasting the, the, the people and the tax collectors, their humble way of acknowledging God's right. His call for repentance is right. We should embrace that. And then he, and then he shows you the prideful Pharisees and law experts. They're like, we're all good. They reject the plan of God. We don't need to repent. There's nothing wrong with the way that we're living. Nothing needs to change. And listen to how Jesus describes them. He says, to what then should I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. Nothing makes them happy. Right? This is called the parable of the brats because they're acting like spoiled kids. Nothing, nothing's enough. For John the Baptist did not come eating bread and drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He says, yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. Because of their pride, they miss out on God's gift of salvation because they refuse to humble themselves. Pride is dangerous. Proverbs 16. I think it's up there. There it comes. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. In our moments of doubt, we should actively, actively resist our pride. That's what we're, we're trying. We're actively resisting pride. And this is, this is where the text speaks to the non-Christian. This is where the, the unbeliever, there's a good word here. See, pride keeps a lot of people in a place of doubt. Like the Pharisees, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. I don't do anything wrong. I don't believe that, that, that I need this Jesus that everybody talks about. Pride keeps the non-Christian in a place of doubt. But I want to say to the non-believer, don't let pride win in your life. Because if you allow that, you will miss out on God's gift of salvation. The text speaks to the unbeliever and says, humble yourself. Receive the grace that is available. Acknowledge that there's something broken in the world and in you and that we all need Jesus. And so we need to turn and receive this gift. It calls that to all of us to humble ourselves and receive. So ask God, unbeliever, to help you step out of doubt and step into faith. That's the prayer. And again, this takes humility. Remember I said we have to humble ourselves. There's this theme there, humbling ourselves. But here's the thing. Every time you humble yourself, the people humble themselves, God helps. Humility always leads to grace. 
And so we acknowledge and step in. The humble people are children of wisdom, Jesus says, and yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. The humble people are children of wisdom because of what they do. Children of wisdom are people who listen to the message of Jesus. He's come as the savior of the world, the one that we need. The children of wisdom embrace him as their savior. They repent and accept his forgiveness. And the children of wisdom follow his direction for living. So we listen, we embrace, and we follow. And as we continue to do that, we stay in that place. We are being wise and living a life of wisdom. I'm going to put the plane on the ground. I just want to, I'm going to land it. I know you're hot. I'm hot. But I want to show you one last thing because it's really important. They criticized John. They said, he has a demon. What they're saying is, that guy's out of his mind. And they criticize Jesus. They call him a glutton and a drunkard. They do that. They criticize John in verse 33. They criticize Jesus in verse 34. And I'm showing you this is because the way we expect the internet in our home to work, the way we expect plants that we are putting in the ground to grow, the way we expect it to be cold in Canada makes me long for home in Jamaica. We should expect criticism in our life. People are going to criticize us. And when somebody criticizes you, you know what happens? It's easy to start doubting the work of God in your life. Criticism can actually bring in doubt. Am I changing? Is God actually working on me? But here, I want to show you why people criticize. Sometimes people criticize us simply because they're jealous. Like my boys would say, haters gonna hate. That's it. They just don't like the good thing that's going on for you. And sometimes people criticize us because we have made a mistake. And we need to acknowledge that. We are, we are still in process. We are going to make mistakes. And so what we should do when the criticism comes in is not simply just ignore it. Yes, they might be hating on you a little bit. But you should also listen and examine it. Is there something for me to learn from this? Have they said something that might have like a grain of truth within it? Just don't throw it away. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to help you not to retaliate in sinful ways. Sometimes when people come at us, we think the best thing we could do is just go right back at them. But just hold on and ask the Spirit to help you. So doubt, I'm trying to tell you, is something we all experience. And Luke wrote this letter in order to deal with doubt, to help somebody through doubt. Luke 1 says, as many as undertaken to compile a narrative, that's why our series is called A Beautiful Narrative, because Luke has put this together about the events that have been fulfilled among us. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us, so also it seemed good to me since I have carefully investigated everything. Luke is a good historian. From the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus. He write, this is who Luke and Acts, two parts, two parts, same book, written to this person. Why? So that you may have what? Certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. He writes it because he says, Theophilus, don't doubt. 
what you believe, what you have heard, what you've put your, your faith in, it's right. It's rock solid. Do not doubt. He wrote this to Theophilus to help him not to doubt. And God wants the same thing for us, for us not to doubt. Things are going to happen in your life in a way that you don't expect when you choose to walk with Jesus over the long haul. It's not always going to be kosher. It's not always going to be gravy. Everything's not always going to work out perfectly. There's going to be ups and downs. And in those moments, Jesus looks at you, he looks at me, and he says what he said to John. Keep believing. Hold on to the faith. You're on the right path. You've chosen the true and right Messiah. Your eggs are in the right basket, so don't give up. Hold on. Why? Because blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Faith in Jesus Christ, belief in Jesus Christ is the way to eternal blessing. That is what we are headed for. Remember the big takeaway. There is a right way and a wrong way to deal with doubt. When doubt comes up, keep believing. Jesus is the Messiah. He will bring us in to glory. Stand with me and let's pray. Father, we Lord, we appreciate your word because when we crawl through it, when we look deeply into it, there is help for our soul. God, we give you grace, our praise, Lord for your grace to us. Thank you that I've said before that you have not left us here without a word. But God, there is a word for our souls when we need it. I pray for the person who is struggling with doubt right now, that you would help them to see that doubt, is a, that doubt happens, that we go through that. But I pray that they would choose to believe what your word has said. Choose to believe what Jesus Christ has said to us that he is the savior of the world, that he is the Messiah, that he has come and he is coming again. And Father, I pray for those who may have experienced criticism and they're hurt by that. I pray that you'd help them to bring that to you and allow you to help them to walk through that. Father, I pray for those who are wavering maybe on their convictions about following you and trusting you with their life. I pray, Lord God, that you would help them in this moment, Lord. I, I confess that having dealt with unmet expectations almost for all of the last year and you're showing me the need for, for me to just humble myself and trust that you know best. Help us, Lord, all to do that. For those who are dealing with unmet expectations, would you help them to know that you love them deeply? That even though they don't know it and even though they might not always feel it, that you're caring for them right now and will continue. I pray, Father, that we would walk humbly with you. We would not choose pride. We would always choose the way of humility, knowing that it leads to blessing. And I pray that we would know that belief in Christ is the way to eternal blessing. Help us to hold on. We pray this because of Jesus Christ and the access that he's given us to you. In Jesus' name. For more resources or information about Hope Church, 
visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.